Aljazeera podcast. Jollof rice is one of West Africa's most beloved dishes. It's even on UNESCO's World Heritage list. It's a simple recipe. Nigerians make it with long grain rice, tomatoes, onions, peppers, a mix of local spices, and meat or fish. It isn't seen as a proper meal unless there's some identifiable, distinct, you know, fried chicken like beef, something that you can lift. But in Africa's largest economy, Nigeria, it's not the affordable staple it used to be. Nigerian inflation quickened at its fastest pace in almost 18 years. Food inflation, which accounts for the bulk of Nigeria's inflation basket, rose to 24.35%. Nigerians have been feeling financial pain for years, and their new president, Bola Tinubu, says major changes are necessary to get the economy back on track. Since his very first day in office, he's been announcing a series of reforms, including the end of a fuel subsidy that the government can no longer afford. The state oil firm says that the subsidies cost it 867 million US dollars per month. That's led to a huge increase in prices at the pump and for all the goods that rely on cheap transportation, like the ingredients in jollof rice. So will Nigerians be willing to wait and see what their new president is cooking up? Or will Tanubu's recipe fall flat? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Aaron Moy-Bidgley, and I'm the Africa editor for Al Jazeera's English Digital Desk. And Aromo knows just about every corner of Nigeria. So I'm from the Niger Delta, which is southernmost part of Nigeria. I grew up there, went to school in southeast Nigeria, moved later to Lagos, briefly lived in the north, covered Boko Haram and not. So in a way, I've been around Nigeria, 35 of the 36 states. Wow. Well, then, as you know, Aromo, Nigeria is Africa's largest economy but it is facing some pretty staggering realities right now. The crisis in Africa's most populous nation is largely due to soaring food prices, rising unemployment and political insecurity. More than 133 million Nigerians are suffering from multidimensional poverty. That's about 63% of the country's population. For everyday Nigerians, what does that look like in their daily lives. What does it look like for your friends and family? You have to look at it this way. In 2015, almost 10 years ago, one dollar was equivalent to about 115 naira. Today, that's around 700 to 800 naira to a dollar. So within the space of 10 years, the naira has lost what around 70% of its value. And so what this has translated to is record inflation. There were missteps in the, uh, under the former administration. And so all of these have combined to make people extremely, extremely poor in Nigeria. Now you have to realize that the, the minimum wage also hasn't moved at the same rate as inflation. All right, so the cost of things is going up, but essentially the amount that people earn has remained 
almost at the same levels in the last 10, 20 years. Aromo broke it down into terms all of us can understand. Take that jollof rice. When people go to the grocery store now, they're substituting ingredients. For example, no one, many people can buy turkey or buy chicken. Now they're having to buy um, beef in smaller quantities. For the first time in my life, I saw people would go to the market and instead of buying a tiba of yam, now they're buying yams in slices. So a tiba of yam would be sliced into three to five parts and then you buy it. Right? That's how bad things had gotten. And that's before this government came into power and took away subsidy. Now I tell you, for a Nigerian, there's some sort of dignity that every meal you eat, there has to be some source of protein. And so for many families in Nigeria, that is no longer the case. They can no longer have that. And, you know, families are having to explain to their children why they're eating far less than what they used to before. In order to help get the economy back on track, Nigeria's new president, Bola Tinubu, has introduced a lot of new changes. And the biggest one happened minutes into his inauguration speech when he went off script saying that fuel subsidies would be eliminated. The first subsidy is gone. It caused panic buying at gas stations and prices tripled. People waited for hours to fill their tanks as the state oil firm announced it was hiking up its prices. Can you explain for us how important this subsidy was for Nigerians and what it means to lose it? For people at the grassroots, the way that the major that the success of, of a government is by these subsidies. These subsidies are seen as dividends of democracy. Dividends of democracy is this buzzword, this phrase that became popular after Nigeria returned to democracy in 99. Delivered the dividends of democracy for our people. The major dividend of democracy. Dividend of democracy. And there's three very important subsidies. One in education, one in power and in wealth subsidies, which are the most popular, most controversial. They've been around since, I think, 1977 or 79, just after the oil boom. And there's been some sort of socialist bend in Nigeria's leaders. Every Nigerian leader has always wanted to show that, hey, I have a socialist side. Every leader has wanted to pose as a man of the people. And so they have been afraid to take away these subsidies. Right, and Ola Tinubu happens to be the one who has, has done it. And so most people have seen Tinubu's early actions as being necessary. And I agree, right? This low-hanging fruit that other leaders should have done. But because they were not concerned enough to give long-term development to the people, shortcuts were the subsidies. So, for example, these subsidies meant that there was no need to address the lack of infrastructure. Nigeria does not have 24 hours electricity, partly because Nigeria does not have the infrastructure required for the needs of a modern grid. Power outages have become common. The diesel to power their local generators has become scarce and expensive. Electricity shortages have forced Nigerian businesses to either cut production or shut down completely. Nigeria is Africa's largest oil producer, but it does not refine its own oil. Money that should have gone into either 
refurbishing or building new refineries was not done. With none of its four refineries being operational, Nigeria imports almost all of its refined fuel. So, in removing this subsidy, the new president is signaling that he is willing to drop shortcuts and help foster long-term development. This is not saying that he will, but this is just saying that these are the signals. So this is good long-term, but in the short to medium term, right, the people are going to suffer even more than before because there are no safety nets, there's no cushion, there's no palliative measures. There has been some pushback, especially from labor unions. But it's been a relatively mild response compared to the last time the government tried to scrap the fuel subsidy almost a decade ago. The protests referred to as Occupy Nigeria in January 2012 was massively embraced in many parts of the country. It all began on January 1st when President Goodluck Jonathan ended a fuel subsidy, virtually doubling the price of petrol overnight. So the last attempt more than a decade ago, resulted in almost two weeks of anti-government protests across the country. You saw those firsthand as a young reporter just out of university. What was that like? Being part of those protests, the Occupy Nigeria protests, in January 2012, it was a very iconic moment for me. It was really, really unprecedented in every sense of the word. There was organized labor, there were people in the opposition, there were everyone who was anyone who were present at those protests. I remember one happening in Lagos, the park called Ganifarami Park. I remember being tear gassed there. I remember that there were musicians, like A-list, B-list, C-list musicians. Everyone converged there. And this was not only in Lagos. Is it because they all believed in this cause that the fuel subsidy should not be scrapped? Obviously, as we can see now, it was partly for political purposes. A lot of people wanted to get goodwill. Bola Tinubu himself was the leader of the opposition at the time, and he was part of this protest. It was clearly political. And the president at the time, the whole nation was in revolt, so he had to walk back his words. And I think to me that's, that's easily one of the biggest policy mistakes in Nigeria's history. Honestly. Occupy Nigeria protests were for a good reason, but I think that we're all economically short-sighted at the time. Inflation at the time was single digits. Suffering would have been far less then compared to now. And then again, Nigeria is broke. There was oil prices were high in 2011 and 2012 compared to now. Nigeria is remarkably broke. It's spending 96% of its revenue to service its debt. There is really no money. So it had to be done sooner or later. So how did it get done? More on the president pushing through the fuel subsidy removal after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Aromo, I want to talk a little bit about the man behind these reforms, President Bola Tenubu. He is 71 years old. 
He's the former governor of Nigeria's most populous state, Lagos, and he comes from the same party as the previous president, Muhammadu Buhari. Were people expecting him to make such big changes so quickly? Tinubu, I think people expected him to be better than Buhari, you know, by all standards. People point to his time in Lagos. Under him, Lagos became such a viable city-state. The economy became so big that if you were to list Lagos as a standalone state today, you'll probably be in the top seven to top ten economies in Africa. And I think that people point to that as proof of what he can do and that he would, he is going to replicate that. When he announced that the fuel subsidy would be eliminated in his inauguration speech, it wasn't actually part of the prepared remarks. Why do you think he announced it that way? Every Nigerian president does something phenomenal or subliminal on inauguration day. It's day in history. I think that Tinubu also wanted to set himself out as an achiever, someone who was not afraid to grab the bull by his horns and be like, let's charge into battle. And so he did that, and the markets responded positively. Eromo says this bold personality may be exactly what's needed to finally push through such controversial changes. There's a lot of unanswered questions about Palatinibo. No one knows his real age. No one knows his real name. But what people know is that he's a go-getter. He is the kind of person who has not shied away from saying his mind in the past. Some people think he's really corrupt individual. Some people think he's a liar, he's deceitful. He's still seen as a go-getter. And if there was anyone to have such a slew of reforms within a couple of weeks and get away with it, I think think he's the one. Those accusations of corruption have plagued Tinubu throughout his career, and he's always denied them. Court papers in relation to APC's presidential candidate Bola Tinubu's antecedents in the United States and some issues in his past resurfaces, raising many questions. And the accusations aren't unique to him. You know, the Nigerian government is notorious for making money disappear. Palumi Salako is a freelance journalist based in the city of Lauren. He's lived through so many of these crises that when Nigeria's currency suddenly dropped 40% in one day over news of these reforms, he barely noticed. We're used to getting negative news in, in some way, you know, news that, okay, the currency is dropping or there's some disaster somewhere. So, yeah, we understand it meant trouble for us as citizens, you know, but we just didn't react to it the way we should because we've become kind of desensitized to, to these things. And it's made him wary of any politician's promises of reform or change. This is a lot of people coming online or even saying that they regret voting for for the current government because things are getting too difficult and they do not see any light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So things are really hard and uh, there might be a hunger crisis if if care is not taken and that might also blow up the crime rate across the country. 
you know, because if, if people cannot fend for themselves, if people cannot work and gain money and get value for the money and be able to eat, then some people might resort to crime to, to get money to, to take care of their families. Most Nigerians agree that something has to give. Oromo says the president is starting to convince people he's serious about making changes to help all Nigerians, not just his inner circle. I think it's still early days. Many people are still watching to see what happens, especially because, like I've said, this was, this was such low-hanging fruit that the previous president could have done it and increase his goodwill. Right. So people are going to still look at this as, oh yeah, this is low-hanging fruit. We're going to wait for when you do the more ballsy stuff. But I would say that among the undecided, that people are beginning to slightly sway in his favor because while there is so many, so many accusations, so many allegations of him being corrupt, even his strongest critics, even to the harshest of his critics, have little to say about his competence. Finally, what if the people that you talk to say needs to be done to get Nigeria's economy on track in a way that will make life better for all Nigerians. People do not have enough money. And even those who have money, whatever amounts that they have, they can't afford the basic necessities. People are having to choose between basics such as, you know, do we eat or do we send our child to school, right? These are everyday decisions that people now have to make. Do we eat or do we buy certain clothes for our bodies? People are now having to look at the brands when they're walking into the grocery stores. People are having to make these hard life choices. And so many people, for many people, simple ask is we just need to have more money in our pocket to be able to afford the things that we need to survive. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn with Veronisa Campana. Khalid Sultan, David Engers, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Sonia Bagat, Ashish Malhotra, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>